Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study for all of those who cannot be with us in person each Wednesday night and also another one each Sunday morning. Now, we know that there are people even in the Omaha area who cannot be with us in person for various reasons at the times that we come together for our Bible classes and our worship services. And we know that there are people who listen across the country and around the world, but they want to be in God's Word. They want to learn the Bible. They want to hear God's Word being taught. And so we can help you along that line um, through these podcasts. So we're thankful to have this opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. If you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. We're located at 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha, 3606 North 108th Street. And Bible classes begin Sunday mornings at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30, Sunday evening, 6 o'clock for another period of worship and Bible study, and then on Wednesday evenings, 6.30 each Wednesday evening, midweek Bible classes. You're welcome to any and all of these services. We encourage you, as you're listening to these podcasts, that you share them with everybody that you can. You may help somebody grow in their faith, because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So share with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. And tell people to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button, sign up for our podcasting. It's free, always will be free. And then when they do that, they will automatically receive to their smartphone or computer or whatever smart device they choose our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, a daily radio program we call Search the Scriptures, and that's Monday through Friday, and then a short Bible study every single day of the week, seven days a week. We call that today's Bible class, only about 13, 14 minutes usually, but it keeps us in God's Word. So tell people and encourage people to get into God's Word through these podcasts. We're going to continue our study for our Wednesday night Bible class, we're going to continue our study in the book of John. Now, this is John's gospel account of the life and ministry of Jesus. As we have pointed out, when you really you look at Jesus, his physical life, up until the point that he begins his ministry, it's, it's very brief in the scriptures. We don't have very many days that are laid out there. Certainly his birth, and then we, you know, have a, another day or two that's laid out. But then the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they begin really focusing upon his ministry when he actually begins to go out and teach and tell people that he is the Messiah prophesied in Old Testament scripture. He has now come to earth in fulfillment of those prophecies. And of course, he came in, in human form. He was born of Mary while she was still a virgin uh, through the Holy Spirit. And so he goes out and he begins de you know, declaring himself to be the Savior, Jesus, that name that the angel told Joseph to give to Jesus when he would be born physically as, as his legal son, but again, 
as the biological, physical son of Mary because, again, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And that word, that, that name, Jesus, means Savior, literally. And so even his name declared himself to be Savior. And so he goes out and he begins not just identifying himself to be God the Son, the Savior of mankind, but he also begins teaching the gospel message of salvation that God sent him from heaven to bring to mankind. And when you think about Jesus coming as the Savior, really it, it, it begins all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, after Adam and Eve had succumbed to the temptation of the devil and sinned. They disobeyed God by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had told them, you don't eat of that tree. You don't eat of that fruit. You don't even touch it lest you die. Well, they disobeyed ultimately, and they ate, and so they became sinners. And so in Genesis 3 and verse 15, God, the first messianic prophecy, as we call them, the first prophecy of the coming Savior, and he told, he was speaking actually to the, to, to the devil at that point, and he said, I'm, I'm going to send through the seed of the woman, there is one I'm going to send who will crush your head. Now, you will bruise his heel. You're going to cause some, some uh, persecution. You're going to cause some conflicts there as he, when he comes as the Savior, but he will ultimately crush your head and put you down. And so from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, through all the rest of the Old Testament, really you're pointing toward the coming Savior. And then when you get to the gospel accounts, the four gospel accounts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they then talk about and they lay out how he came and the message that he brought for our forgiveness, redemption, and salvation through him as our Savior. Now, we pick up with chapter 15, and this is right in the middle of what we have identified as one of, if not the longest, immediate context of Scripture in the entire New Testament. It begins with chapter 13, goes all the way through chapter 17. This is the night of Jesus' betrayal. The next day, he'll be hanging on the cross, dying physically, allowing his blood to be shed to pay the price for the guilt of our sins as the ultimate one-time-for-all-time sacrifice offered by God the Father for us because of our sins, our need for forgiveness and redemption and salvation. So we pick up with chapter 15, and here Jesus says, I am the vine. Again, the apostles are with him in the upper room. I want to bring that out again. The apostles are with him in the upper room. It's, they're celebrating the Passover feast. And again, a little later that evening, Judas will openly betray Jesus. He'll be taken into, taken into custody by the Jewish authorities. He'll be run through a mock, a series of mock hearings or trials, if you want to think about that way, all, that ni- all through that night and brought before the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and they will secure Pilate's permission or sanction to have Jesus crucified. Now, the Roman soldiers will actually do this crucifixion, but they could only act uh, upon orders by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And so the Jewish authorities are going to do a whole lot that night 
once Judas openly betrays Jesus into their hands. So Jesus is teaching the apostles in this upper room on the night of his betrayal, the night before he'll die on that cross physically. He's teaching them a bunch of lessons, one after another. He's trying to help them come to a fuller understanding of, of the basic overall message that he brought from heaven for mankind, and he's preparing them to continue to teach the gospel once he dies on that cross, is buried in that tomb, arises from that grave alive, and then ascends back to heaven 40 days later. So verse 15, uh, chapter 15, beginning with verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He's using an agricultural kind of illustration here to get across a very deep and important spiritual message. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That is, God takes away as the vine dresser. You can think of, you can think of, of a, a field that has to be pruned. The produce of that field has to be pruned from time to time. Uh, think about a, an apple tree or or grapevines, you know, and along the way, the farmer will come along and he'll start pruning some of the the dead branches, the dead leaves, and so on. And so he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, that is God, the Father, takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so (laughs) that's the way things work in the plant kingdom. They, we prune them and it actually stimulates their growth, gives more opportunity for the vine, which goes all the way into the ground and at the bottom, its roots go, you know, spread out through the soil and bring water and nutrients up through the vine to all of the different branches and then all of the different fruits upon those branches. And so pruning it, you know, along the line actually stimulates the growth. So he says, my father, uh, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He's not talking about plants here. He's talking about ultimately Christianity, Christians, those who had become true followers of Christ, Christians. In verse 3, Jesus goes on and again speaking to the apostles, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now that word abide means to live in. And Jesus says, you stay in me. How do we do that? We, We live by his teachings. We're obedient to those teachings on a consistent ongoing basis. We are guided as to how to live our lives as followers of Jesus by the teachings of God's word. And so he's telling the apostles, you stay in me. You, you still, you, you keep living in me. How do we come into Christ? Well, later in the New Testament, we learn very directly, very clearly that we are baptized into Christ. Romans 6 and verse 3, Galatians 3 and verse 27. But now he's telling the apostles, you have to stay in me. You have to keep living the Christian life. Keep living the life of being one of my disciples. So we move on. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me continues to live in me, live by my teachings, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now, what is a disciple of Christ? A follower of Christ, an adherent to his teachings, and thereby an adherent to Christ. Now, there are those in the denominational world that will say, all of the branches that Jesus are talking about here, he is the vine, and all of the branches are all the different denominations. Uh, Wrong. Number one, who's he talking to? He's not talking to denominations here. He's talking to 12 men, 12 followers of his, 12 disciples. He's talking to individuals, and as we apply it to ourselves today, he's talking to individual Christians. Number two, the church was not even in existence at this particular time. Jesus was born into Judaism. He lived and died from the physical perspective as a Jew. The church had not yet been established. It would not be established for another 50 days or so on Pentecost. Christianity was being taught, but Jesus had not yet gone to the cross to fulfill those Old Testament prophecies of him as the Savior and then bring into being, make the transition into the New Testament history, New Testament Christianity. Okay, he had to die on that cross to bring the old law, the law of Moses, to an end and then open up the beginning of New Testament Christianity. So he's not talking about denominations by all these branches. Denominationalism is not part of either God, God's plan for, human, uh, for humanity, nor was it Jesus's plan. Jesus said, I've come to build my church, singular, not denominations, the very word denomination means, means division at its very base. So those denominations that say all the branches are all the different denominations, that's absolutely false. That is unbiblical. In fact, it is anti-biblical. And we need to understand that. So in verse 8, again, he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now, how do we bear fruit for Jesus? How do we bear fruit as disciples of Jesus, as faithful, dedicated Christians? The Apostle Paul shed some light on this in Galatians chapter 5. Now, he's in verse, beginning with verse 19, he goes through a, an extensive list of the works of the flesh that basically he's talking about sinful lifestyles, sinful practices that'll keep a person out of heaven. And then beginning with verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Against such, there is no law. Uh, The apostle Peter wrote similarly, in 
in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 5, he talks about some characteristics or qualities that ought to identify those who are true Christians as to how they live according to God's word. So Second Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 5, and we read this. But also for this very reason, Peter writes, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, in verse 11, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, an eternal home in heaven. Now, remember back in chapter 14, Jesus told the apostles, same setting, night of his betrayal, upper room, gathered together for the Passover meal. Remember back in chapter 14, the first several verses, he says, I'm leaving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you. I go to prepare a place for you, but I'm going to come back that you may be with me where I am. And so he says a whole lot within those first few verses. So we come back to chapter 15, and he says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Basic way we bear fruit as a Christian to the glory of God and in following Christ as our Lord and Savior, is by developing the Christian characteristics that we've read in Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22, and in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 5. We transform our life. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 that we need to not be conformed to this world, but we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind the renewing of our mind, learning God's word, putting it into practice consistently and effectively and faithfully on an ongoing basis. So the life, as we live that life as a Christian, true, we truly live that life, then we will, as we develop those Christian characteristics, we're going to be bearing fruit to God's glory. Now, as we do that, we're going to do some things such as be involved in the good works that God has prepared for us to be involved in, Ephesians 2 and verse 10. And basic in those good works is going to be teaching the gospel, helping other people to become Christians, followers, dedicated believers, and obedient to Christ. We pick up with verse 9 in John chapter 15. Jesus goes on and he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Live in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus says, I've set the example for you. My Father in heaven has sent me on a mission with instructions, and I have kept those instructions. I have followed them. I have been obedient to them, faithful to them, faithful to my Father. And so if you keep my commandments, my teachings, then you will be abiding in my love. You'll be living in my love. A whole lot of people think they can be okay with Jesus 
without obeying his commandments, without living by his teachings faithfully and obediently. Well, again, obviously from what Jesus says here, that's wrong. Now, again, remember back in chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The sense there being, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He repeats it again in verse 21, again in verse 23, and then he repeats it again in reverse order in verse 24 of that 14th chapter. Okay, we move on to verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that, you, that your joy may be full. Have you ever thought about the person who is not a Christian, who is not walking with Christ, who is not being faithful and obedient to God, not living the Christian life? What hope do they have? What hope do they have? You talk about a, a life that is disjointed, that is basically going nowhere positive, ultimately at the end, that's, that's that life. It becomes even worse for a person who is an atheist or a skeptic or an agnostic because they live with absolutely no hope because they claim they either don't believe in God or else, yeah, I'm just not sure. I'm, they, don't make a, they don't make the commitment of, of belief and faith. Well, so these things I've spoken to you, Jesus said, verse 11, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. The best life a Christian can live is a life of faithfulness to God through Jesus Christ. The Christian life is the best life that anyone can live. We pick up with verse 12. He goes on and says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends. If big word if, conditional, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Again, a lot of people, they want Jesus without commitment to Jesus in their lives. That doesn't work. So you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. He's speaking to the apostles. And he called them one by one to be his apostles. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. The emphasis in John's gospel account, and also in John's uh, first letter, First John, on the love that Jesus taught while he was on this earth, that is to be there between brothers and sisters in Christ, it's, it's rather, well, certainly it's impressive because John covers it over and over, emphasizes it over and over and over again. But it's not John emphasizing it, it's Jesus emphasizing it. John's just writing his words. Christians are to love one another. Now, are we to love people who are not Christians yet? Yes, but in a different way, to a different degree than we are to love one another as fellow Christians. We're to love all of humanity, wanting them to become Christians and trying to help them do so by teaching them God's word and living the example of Christianity before them in, in our lives, our lifestyles. 
Verse 18, Jesus goes on and tells the apostles, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now that principle also applies to us today. There are a lot of people who hate Christians, basically. They hate Christianity. Well, they hated Jesus first before there was Christianity. And so he goes on and says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I told to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And so why do people, why do some people hate Christianity? Why do some people, even though they would say, well, I believe in God and Christ, but they live an ungodly life, why do they not want to hear the Bible being taught? Why do they not want to listen to anybody trying to teach them about salvation through Jesus Christ and repentance that they need to come into before Jesus? Because the devil's worked on their heart. That's the answer to both questions. The devil's worked on them, and he's got them. Now, they would say, no, I, he doesn't have, well, yeah, just look at your life. Are you following God's word? Are you living by his teachings? Well, no, but, okay, there is no but. You're following the lead of the devil then. So, verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And so Jesus was prophesying here to the apostles specifically, you're going to be persecuted because those who will persecute you, they're not following God. Even though they might say they are, they're not following God, his way. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father. Now, Jesus came and declared himself to be the Savior, the fulfillment of the prophesied Messiah come to earth. And when those, and who did he come to now, primarily during his ministry? The Jews. When they rejected him, they rejected God. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated me, or hated both me and my father. They rejected the Savior. There's no getting around that. And as they rejected the Savior, they rejected God. They rejected God's way. But this happened that the word <clears throat> might be fulfilled which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. And that goes back to Psalm 129 and verses 2 through 5. Now we close the chapter, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So Jesus comes as the Savior. 
And the gospel message that he brings to mankind was the springboard of New Testament Christianity. And now he's telling the apostles, you, I'm going to go back to heaven. I already told you that a few moments ago. I'm going to come back on that final day of judgment. But while I'm gone, you are going to take up the baton, so to speak. You are going to be the preachers and teachers of the gospel. And you're going to teach others to be preachers and teachers of the gospel. You're going to carry on the work that I began. And that is still the commission for each one of us who is a true Christian, even today. We'll pick up with chapter 16 next next time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us your word. We thank you so much for for, for sending Jesus into this world as our Savior. And Father, humanity, so much of humanity, so needs to come to you through Jesus. Help us to be the ambassadors. Help us to be the teachers, the preachers, those who communicate your word, the gospel message of salvation to people all over the world. Help us to live the lifestyle that exemplifies Christianity to help people see the better way to live, the way, the only way, with true hope. Guide us in this, Father, please, we pray. Please, please, please forgive us and hear our prayer, gracious Father. In Jesus' name, amen.